Thank you for tuning in to this edition of Kingsway Podcast from Pastor Sean. You are about to hear a message from a recent Sunday service. We consider it a privilege to be on a spiritual journey with you. So take a few moments with us and allow God to inspire you today. So have you ever fallen asleep at the wrong place at the wrong time? Please tap your neighbor and say he's not talking about you. As in right now. People fall asleep in church all the time. I asked my kids to give me some funny videos of people falling asleep, and I had to stop because I got carried away. The whole sermon would have been people falling asleep in church. People fall asleep in church all the time. It's, it's quite funny. Fall asleep in all t- types of awkward places and weird places, all sorts of YouTubes and videos and pictures of people falling asleep. You have kids falling asleep on the toilet and falling in. Falling asleep at airports, missing their plane. Falling asleep in train and missing their stop. I've done all of the above. This is a man who's falling asleep. Probably at the wrong time. This is a young recruit falling asleep. This is probably more of a a drill or a a talking to, and he's probably exhausted from all the work he's doing. He's falling asleep at the wrong time. Now, right now, he's he's not in any danger outside of his drill sergeant. He's not in any danger for his physical life. So maybe he thinks it's okay. He feels protected. He feels safe. He may get a tongue lashing, but in the end, he's probably going to be okay. Now, if he was on guard somewhere, standing guard as a lookout, and he fell asleep, well, that would be a whole different situation because his life would be at danger. The whole platoon's life would be at danger. And so for new recruits, they test them at this, right? They put them on guard. They put them in locations to, to stand lookout, you know, particularly when they're young and they're new, and they oftentimes don't make it. They fall asleep. So I heard this story about a young recruit and what he did to get out of uh, the trouble, the heavy penalty of falling asleep on duty. See, the new army recruit was given guard at about 2 a.m. And he knew that he'd have a hard time staying awake all night, but he was going to try his best. Started dozing off around 3, around 4 a.m. He's falling asleep. He knows he better come up with a solution real quick because the penalty is going to be very heavy. He ends up falling asleep only to wake up to find the officer of the day standing right before him. Oh, no. Remembering the heavy penalty for being asleep on guard duty, the smart young man kept his head bowed for just for another moment. He looked up, and he said wide-eyed, Amen. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. For those of you who are not getting the joke, if you're asleep right now, just say amen, and we'll think you're praying. I believe that there are plenty of times in our lives that we are asleep at the wrong times. I don't just mean asleep when we should be at work or asleep at work or asleep while we're commuting or asleep when our children need us. I mean that there are things happening all around us that we may be oblivious to. And I want to try this morning to open up your mind to some of that. You see, as I said last week, we are at a tipping point. This is a picture of a tipping point. It's a few rocks balanced out here where the right is balancing out the left. It's called a tipping point because if either side gets a little more weight, it will go out of balance and favor one side over the other. Kingsway is at a tipping point between the past and its future between progress and regression, between, in fact, good and evil. Kingsway is at a tipping point. 
And God has got us to this balance, and, and God would have it so that it would favor his side, favor obedience, and favor blessing. But see, Satan is on the prowl, and any time that God wants to do something in your life, any time God gives you a message, gives you a word, gives you a calling, Satan is going to come calling as well to attack you, to tip it in his favor. There's plenty of decisions that we need to make going forward here at Kingsway. Financial decisions, decisions about the roof, decisions about staff, decisions about ministry, decisions about leadership. Extremely important decisions that keep us at the tipping point. But I believe in miracles, amen? And no matter what Satan brings to us, I believe that we will be victorious, amen? Amen. So I ask you to assess this morning yourself. Assess what is pulling you, what is pushing you, what is attracting you. What is repelling you? What's weighing down each side of your equation? Because look, even if you are the most godly person here, Satan is attacking you and weighing you down on the other side. What are those things that are pulling you away from Christ? What are those things pulling you towards Christ? Who are those people pulling you towards Christ? And who are those people pulling you away from Christ? Amen? The tipping point. It's been on my mind a lot lately. And so as I began to search scripture and I began to put all these messages together, he brought me to this passage that I'm going to preach on today. It's in Mark chapter 14. You could turn to it in your Bibles if you want. I believe that this is one of the, if not the, most significant tipping point in all scripture. In order for you to understand it, it's going to take more time than I have today. As I mentioned two weeks ago when I preached that message of two boats, and if you haven't listened to two boats yet, you need to. I keep listening to it because I hear things in it different every time I listen to it because that message was inspired. Things that weren't even in my notes the Lord gave me to say, I keep listening back to it and say, wow, Lord, what are you doing here? This is the next part in that message of two boats. There's a tipping point at hand. And he begins to put these messages together. And next week you're going to see how it all fits together. But I need to lay some background. I need to lay some teaching on you. So you can turn to Mark chapter 14. Let me tee up this story real quick. So this is the story in Mark. Right before this, anytime you read a Bible passage, you should read what happens right before and right after. It's called context. It's important. Right before this story, you have the Last Supper. You guys know what the Last Supper is, right? This is when Jesus is having his last meal with his family, his disciples, his church, and he tells them that one of you will betray me. And they all say, no, no, not me. No, 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 not me. Then after dinner, he pulls out Peter in front of everyone else, and he calls him out and says, you will deny me. Not once, not twice, three times. Peter says, no, no, not me. No, no, not me. And all the other disciples say, no, no, not me. We would never do that. Then you have this passage. What happens right after this passage? Right after the passage I'm going to read, which is the Garden of Gethsemane, right after this passage, what you have is Judas actually betraying him, bringing in the mob with clubs and swords, going to arrest Jesus and ultimately take him to his torture and crucifixion, which we learned about last week. This message sits right in the middle. There's something happening right in the middle that we need to talk about. So because I'm talking about sleep, 
How about you stand with me so we make sure that no one is asleep? I'm going to read verse 32. I'm going to end at 42 of Mark chapter 14. The word says, They went to the olive grove called Gethsemane, and Jesus said, Sit here while I go pray. He then took Peter, James, and John with him, and he became deeply troubled and distressed. He told them, My soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch. Say, keep watch. Keep watch with me. He then went on a little farther and fell down to the ground. He prayed that if it were all possible, this awful hour awaiting him might pass him by. Verse 36, Abba, Father, he cried out, everything is possible for you. Please take this cup of suffering away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. Verse 37, then he returned and found the disciples asleep. He said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Say asleep. Couldn't you watch with me even one hour? Keep watch. Say keep watch. And pray so that you will not be given into temptation. For the spirit is willing, but the body is weak. Then Jesus left them again and prayed the same prayers before. When he returned to them again, he found them sleeping again. For they couldn't keep their eyes open, and they didn't know what to say. When he returned to them the third time, he said, Go ahead and sleep and have your rest. But no, the time has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of the sinners. Up, let's get going. Look, my betrayer is here. Heavenly Father, speak your word to our lives right now. Speak what is on the page so that it may cut through us like a two-edged sword. Allow the seed to dig deep and show us the secrets of your word. In Jesus' name I pray. Church says, Amen. and you can be seated if you can, and say God is good. See how that did that confuse you. I did it last week too, see what it goes. God is good. And all the time. This message is very similar to the little joke I played up a front. This is much like the guard the disciples fell asleep on the job. And I've heard this message preached a thousand different ways. And I've yet to hear it preached this way. I believe God gave me something very unique for you to hear this morning. It's not easy to preach. It wasn't easy to put together. I struggled with it much of the night. And I hope that today you won't fall asleep. I don't mean just literally but I mean spiritually. I hope that you can somehow dig into what the Lord is saying. You can see what the Lord is doing here in Scripture. And I pray that you will be blessed for what King's Way is going towards. We need a message like this. Amen? So as I got into this message, I started reading about it. Right? This, by the way, is the message where Jesus at the garden, right? He's praying alone. And he's praying so hard that he's sweating drops of blood. It's, it's this message. It's cut past before me. It's this message. It's in Mark. It's in Matthew. It's in Luke. It pretty much tells the same story, yet with a different little bit of detail in each one. And as I got into this, I wanted to know more about Jesus and why he was pointing me to this message. And I know the other sermons that I've been preaching these last couple weeks, the one about the boats and the one about the resurrection, and I wanted to see how it all fit together. And he was pointing me to this scripture for a couple of reasons. But the most important reason, I believe, is because he says this right at the beginning. It says, 
right here. Verse 34. It says, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Keep watch with me. What did he mean by keep watch? You see, when I read the scripture and without studying it, when I thought about it in my mind, when I hear about the Garden of Gethsemane, I think all about Jesus. I think about Jesus struggling. I think about Jesus taking on the sin of the world. I think about Jesus going to his torture, Jesus going to his crucifixion. It's all about Jesus. So why in the world is he telling the disciples to keep watch? What do the disciples have anything to do with what he's doing here in the garden? Jesus was the one preparing himself. He was the one going to die. What did this have to do with the disciples? Why did he call these three men out? Why did he tell them to stay here? And keep watch. I believe the scripture is pointing out a tipping point. I believe, church, that there is danger all around. There is danger all around. There is danger in our homes, in our relationships, with our children, in our schools, in our communities. Danger that seeps in through all methods through TV, through Facebook, through our cell phones, through our friends, through our teachers, sometimes through our mentors and through those we trust, danger seeps in everywhere. And I believe that God is trying to tell us to keep watch. Here at Kingsway, there is danger. Sure, we love you and we pray for you, but there are people in the community, there are people in the world, there are people in the pits of hell who do not want to see the doors of Kingsway remain open. There are people who get put off by church, who get put off by pastors, who get put off by worship service, who get put off by sermons. There is danger all around. And he asks us to keep watch. What does it mean to keep watch? To protect to stand guard. The traditional interpretation of this is just that. It's to be attentive, to be alert. I ask you today, as Jesus said, who's going to stay here and keep watch with me? Who's going to stay here despite what's going on around in the community, despite what's going around in other churches, despite what's going on at Kingsway? Who's going to stay here at Kingsway and keep watch? Is it just me? Or will you guys join me? I see one hand. Look, even if I only had one hand, I would do it. Even if I was by myself, I'd do it. I find myself right here sometimes preaching when none of you are here. I enjoy it. I get a lot more out of it sometimes. You get it? Because I can listen to myself. Is it possible something else in this scripture was happening besides just Jesus praying? Is it possible that he wants us to see something else in this scripture? He mentions keep watch twice. Was there something else afoot? Was there something happening I believe here in verse 38, he points it out again. Keep watch. He repeats itself. And when you repeat yourself in Scripture, it's really important. Look what he says. Pray so that you will not give in to temptation. When I looked at this, out of context, it makes a lot of sense. Pray so that I don't give in to temptation. Sure, pastors should say that all the time. But in context, does this make any sense? The disciples were there. They were encouraging Jesus. He pulled three of them out. He goes to the garden. He says, keep watch and pray so that you don't enter into temptation. What if they have anything to do with it? Jesus is the one who's worried. Jesus is the one who's suffering. Jesus is the one who's got to get crucified. What do the disciples have anything to do with this story? And what possible temptation could befall them? All the standard temptations you're familiar with do not exist in the garden at night with three men sitting there falling asleep. 
He said the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Is it some sin of the flesh that Jesus is trying to warn them of? I believe there's something else here. You see, in his drowsiness, Peter's and the disciples, in their unattentiveness, they become susceptible to three temptations that often go overlooked. Three temptations that we don't talk enough about because all of the obvious temptations, all the obvious sin get all the attention. But church, these are Christians. These are Christian leaders. These are the leaders of the church. These are the people who started the church. These are the people who God loved the most, John said. These are James, John, and Peter. This message is for the temptation of all of you. What is the temptation that you and I have to worry about the most? What is it that Jesus is trying to say here? I believe there are three. Take a look right here at 35 and 36 in Mark 14. It says, he went on a little farther and fell to the ground. He prayed that if it were possible, this awful hour awaiting him might pass him by. Abba, Father, everything is possible for you. Take this cup of suffering away from me. Jesus was suffering and he wanted them to keep watch with him. He, Jesus, wanted his disciples to see him suffer, to see him struggle, to see him be troubled. It was very important for him. But the disciples fell asleep. The temptation is what I refer to as the comfort temptation. For some reason, we think we need to be comfortable. We think God wants us comfortable. In this case, the disciples pled for comfort over Christ. Christ was very specific. Stay alert, keep watch. And yet, they fell asleep because they were drowsy and it was more comfortable to just close your eyes and fall off into dreamland. I'm sure some of you have done it. And not just while we sleep, but all areas of our life, we often think that God wants us comfortable. He didn't call us to be comfortable. He called us to be Christians. I'll get into that in a second. You see, Jesus himself was falling prey to the same comfort temptation. He didn't want to suffer like this. He didn't want to take the cup. The human side of him wanted to be comfortable, and he begged for God to not have to endure it. He says it right here. He says, my soul was crushed with grief. He says, may this awful hour waiting him pass me by. Please take this cup of suffering. The keep watch here is to keep watch over the struggles of others. Can we, in the midst of our comfort, see the struggles of others and pay attention to the cost they are paying? You see, Jesus wanted the disciples to see him struggle, see him be troubled. He wanted the scripture to be written the way it is. He wanted you to know that you serve a God today. You serve a God today that is perfect. You serve a God today that is sinless. You serve a God today that is almighty. You serve a God today that is all-knowing, all-powerful. He's everywhere, and he's also often troubled. He can be distressed. And if he can be troubled, if he can be stressed, then so will you, so will I. You serve a God today who understands you, who knows you. Our God is not some unknown alien superpower. He knows what it's like to be poor. He walked the streets with nothing. He had no money, no place to lay his head. He knows what it's like to be angry. He knows what it's like to be sad. He knows what it's like to be alone. And look what he did. He prayed angry prayers. You know, I say this all the time. We need to pray angry prayers. Jesus himself prayed an angry prayer here, church. 
Angry prayer is when our anger allows us to speak truth. Now, when we do that to others, we end up hurting their feelings, and we end up hurting those around us that we love. It's not good to be angry to your brother. But sometimes anger is inside. What do you do with it? Take it to God. Jesus did. Not to be rebellious, not to tell God what to do, but he told him, I don't want to do this. Is there any other way? Help me. Why? Why would he say this? Why would it be so much? Look, just think about it for one second. Jesus went 33 years of his life without sin. He was the sinless king. And in this moment, the weight of the idea that he would have to take on all of the sin of the world was a weight that was very heavy, very heavy to burden. The cost that Jesus was paying, the disciples needed to see it. They needed to not fall into the comfort temptation Again, we are not called to be comfortable. If you are comfortable today, you may not be living up to your full potential as a Christ follower. Now, that is not to say you cannot be blessed. That's not to say you cannot enjoy the fruits of your labor. You can. God wishes to bless you, but he requires you to bless others. He requires you to get involved in others' lives, to encourage others, to listen to his voice, and when he's finished, to push out your boat and push out of your comfort zone. Church, why is it that when we need prayer the most for ourselves or for others, it's the hardest to pray for them? Why is it so hard to pray for your spouse or your loved one, your mother, when they need it the most? Some of us succumb to this. You know, look, I'm married. I know that as a spouse, it's hard to pray with your spouse, particularly at night. You know what happens? The same thing in the scripture, you end up falling asleep. Or even if you're praying alone and you're praying for your family members, at night you're laying down, you fall asleep. I need to take a sidebar and say, I tell you, one of my prayers and the prayers of our pastors in this church are that every one of you at night is entering into an intimate prayer with God for those who you love. If you are married, we pray that you pray desperately with your spouse, no matter what happens, no matter what happened during the day, no matter how you feel. If you're not married, we ask you to pray for those whom you love your mother, your father, your brother, your sister, those at work, those who mean the most to you. God is calling us out of our comfort zone, and he is calling us to pray. This is not supposed to be a house of comfort. This is supposed to be a house of prayer. We're not trying to make it as comfortable as possible to come in these buildings and leave comfortable. We are trying to get you out of your comfort zone and turn you into a Christian. Amen? Comfort over Christ. We become oblivious in our comfort. Can we watch out for the struggle of others, the price they're paying, and encourage them and help them? You know, I like to say it like this, and then I'm going to move on. Why is it that if we're in physical danger, we would be very attentive and we would never fall asleep? That guard, if he knew he was in real danger, he would not have fallen asleep. If you're home at night and you knew there was house break-ins along the street, and you heard crazy noises, and you thought you were in physical danger, you wouldn't fall asleep, I guarantee it. And if something happened in the house and stirred you, you'd be awake and attentive. But the same thing happens in the spiritual world. We sleep right through it, not like it's no big deal. Why is it that we don't treat our spiritual danger as important as our physical, and our spiritual is way more important? You die in this world, your spiritual reality is going to come to pass real quick, Amen. That is the first temptation. The next temptation is here in Mark 14, 37 and 38. It says, then he returned and found his disciples asleep. He said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? 
Couldn't you watch with me even one hour? Keep watch and pray so you will not be given into temptation. In order to understand this temptation, you need to understand Peter. You need to understand what he was told right before this. You need to understand what he saw right after this. And you need to understand how he responded. And I want you to think about it. It's what I call today the strongest temptation. The strongest temptation. Peter, right before this, was told he was going to deny Christ. Then he came to the garden and he fell asleep. Then Judas came and tried to arrest Jesus and Peter attacked the crowd, chopped off an ear. Jesus then calmed them all down and then Peter watched his God, his Lord, his Savior go and be tortured. Peter then watched him crucified on the cross. This is the man that Peter called God. This is the man Peter was going to call Savior. This is what Peter saw. How do you think this made Peter feel? Well, look, we don't need to read too far to see how it made Peter feel. When it was happening, in the midst of its happening, Peter actually denied God. This couldn't possibly be my God. My God is too powerful for this. No weapon formed against him can prosper. No way this is really God. Maybe I was deceived. This is the strongest temptation, church. Allowing your emotion to overshadow your faith. The temptation as a Christian to question who God is. Now, I'm not saying for a second that we shouldn't question God. Uh, before you are a Christian, before you know him, you need to go on a spiritual journey. You need to question all things and get answers. And you need to evaluate God and you need to evaluate your life. And you ask all sorts of questions. But when you come to know Jesus, like Peter, when you come to enter into relationship with Jesus and our Lord and Savior, you begin to know who he is. And then the strongest temptation we become susceptible to. It doesn't mean it happens often, but it means when it does happen, it's extremely compelling. The desire or the temptation to question who he is, to ask him if he is really God, to ask him if he is really out for our good. It's why we say God is good every Sunday, to remind us to not fall prey to this temptation. This is what happened with Peter. He saw his God suffering. He said, could this possibly be my God? What about you today? Will you fall prey to this temptation? What about when there's things in Scripture you don't understand? Do you still trust God? What about when he doesn't answer your prayer? Will you still trust God? What about when fear, doubt, confusion, as a Christian, when these come into your life, do you still trust God? Because look, I'm here to tell you they're going to come into your life. The Bible says to be still and know that he is God. That is all you need to do is to be still and know that he is God. That is how we beat the strongest temptation. You know, some people say God will not give us more than we can handle. That is categorically false. He will often give us more than we can handle. Why does he give us more than we can handle? Because when he does, we find out who he is. Because when he gives us more than we can handle, we need to hand it over to him and he takes care of what we cannot. And then we realize who God is because if we do all the things we expect him to do, then we put ourselves in the place of him. The Bible scripture that people talk about is referring to that God will not give us more temptation than we can bear and he will provide a way out. What is that way out? Often it's just being still and knowing that he is God. 
And if you cannot pray, and there's been times this week I have not been able to pray in the midst of temptation, in the midst of struggle, and I tell you the most powerful thing you can do is to be still and know he is God. And if you can't say words out loud or have the words to say, I encourage you just to say Jesus. Say Jesus in your mind. Say Jesus around you. Say Jesus to who's standing in front of you. Say Jesus to who's standing behind you. Say Jesus to your thoughts. Say Jesus to your work. Say Jesus and watch what happens. We need to keep watch today for the spiritual battle all around us because the strongest temptation is here to break down your faith every day. And some of you are saying, I don't know what you're talking about, and I know for a fact that there are people here this minute who are struggling with this exact temptation. And make no mistake, it is strong, and it will rip you at your core. And I encourage you today, just like Peter, to stay awake and keep watch. Get a partner. Pray. Jesus brought three partners together with him to pray. Is this okay? I know this isn't one of those super comforting messages. I know that. But it's a message that you need to hear, church. We need to keep watch for those who are struggling and get out of our comfort zone. We need to keep watch for the spiritual attack in our own life over our faith via our emotions. We need to keep watch. But there's one more that he pointed out to me in this scripture. It's back here in Mark 14, 36. Abba, Father, he cried out, everything is possible. Wow. Church, I still don't know how to pray. Some come up to me and say, you are a good prayer. Pray for me. Sometimes I'm so nervous praying for some of you. I don't know exactly what to say and how to say it. I often ask God to teach me how to pray. And all through scripture, I learn new things about how to pray. Well, here's one I want you to get into your spirit every time you pray. When I read this, it has melted me. Jesus Christ, in his point of most despair, he says, everything is possible for you, God. Start your prayers with everything is possible. No matter what you're thinking, no matter what you've been told, everything is possible for you, God. Everything. This is the greatest tipping point. Right here, you need to see it. Some of you may not grasp it. Some of you may be over their heads. Some of you are dialed in, and so I need to share it with you. I know it's 11.55, but I'm not going to wait till next week. I'm going to share it now. If people have to leave, that's okay. I get it. We have a podcast. You can listen to it. No problem. The greatest tipping point is this temptation. I call it the most dangerous temptation. The most dangerous temptation. This is why the scripture is so serious. This is why Jesus was dripping drops of blood. It was not just because he was taking on the sin of the world. No, Bill preached that last week. The sin of the world he took on on the cross, church. The beatdown he took place, took down in his torment, church. After this point, when he was arrested, church, that's when it was really difficult. That's when it was physically impossible. That's when he had, a, had supernatural power to go through what he did as a man. That's when God turned his back on him because he took the sin of the world on. That's when that happened. And it was only a chapter later in Mark, at the same verse later, where he says, God, why are you forsaking me? That was the pain he was feeling then. That was not the pain he was feeling now. This was before all that. So why was he so stressed out? Why was he freaking out? Why was blood dropping from his head? And why was he desperately telling, not once, not twice, three times to the disciples to wake up and keep watch? What are we supposed to be looking for? 
the most dangerous temptation. What is the most dangerous temptation? It's the one I hear more in church than any other. It's not sexual sin. It's not addiction. It's not anger. It's not jealousy. It's not hatred. Now, in God's eyes, all sin is the same, whether a lie or a murder. And we can ask for forgiveness for all of it. There are some sins that when we mess with them, they can bring real havoc into our lives. Sin is separation from God. And I believe that what we're learning here in this scripture is a confluence of ideas that are mind-boggling. I believe the most dangerous sin is the temptation to want your will over God's. To say it's okay to go to church, it's okay to be a Christian. And I'll coast through life singing the songs, saying the prayers, but I want my will. This is a very dangerous temptation. And I have people come to me and say, what's God's will? I don't know if I'm in God's will. What's God's plan for my life? I don't know if I'm in God's plan. And I've often didn't know what to say. I often tell them to pray. I tell them to seek God's will. His plan is in here. His plan is for you. I say all the things I'm supposed to say, but I've learned something after reading this passage. I've learned something for each and every one of us. That we do not need to know all the details of God's plan. We do not need to know the future. In fact, Jesus Christ knew the future. He knew what was about to happen. He knew what was going to happen in days to follow. And you know what? His torment was no less intense. If you know the future, it's not going to make life any easier. Knowing the future is not what we need. I can't spell out all the details of God's plan for your life. But what I have learned about God's plan, what is critical about God's plan, is that you believe in it. What you need today is to keep watch for the battle of the wills. Because there's a will of Satan, there's a will of God, and then there is your will. And that is the one I'm scared of. What is your will today? And is it in line with God's? Look, I need to share this with you, so give me a second here. Everything is possible for God. Wow! When I read that, I said, wow, look what Jesus is saying. He starts the prayer knowing he's going to ask God something that he knows he's going to ask something that God's going to have real trouble with. He's going to ask God to say, Lord, I don't want to suffer. So he enters that prayer with, I know everything is possible for you. So don't tell me no. It's almost as if what he's saying. But you see, God does have limits. He has limitations. Everything is possible, but God limits himself in all sorts of ways. He limits himself. God is not a man that he should lie he will never lie. He will not do that. God is, is not a God that he will allow you to enter heaven with sin. He will not allow that. These are limits on his power he puts there. And another limit is he will not force himself on you. He will not violate free will. He tolerates other people misusing their will, but never himself. He will not force his will on your life. The Bible says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. He stands at your door today and he knocks. He's saying, will you let my will in? And you stand at the other side. It is your choice whether to open it. In my mind, it doesn't say this in scripture, but in my mind, I imagine that door is a door with only one door handle on it. And that door handle's on your side, not his. He can't come through that door. He can push, he can pry, but it will not open. You must open it. 
Where am I getting, where am I getting all this from in the scripture? Sean, I just don't see it. Everything is possible for you. Please take this cup of suffering away from me. There were two wills going on here. There were two wills going on here in this scripture that I want to point out real quickly here. Jesus knew that he was about to go and die on the cross. He knew that at the Last Supper. He wasn't crying then. Why was he crying now? Was it now because he just came to the conclusion that he was going to have to do this for real? I believe God knew it since he was born that he was going to have to do this. What could put God to his knees? What could put him to his knees? As I began to pray, I believe that God shared some revelation to me because I believe in this most dangerous temptation that Jesus Christ was almost succumbing to at this very moment. He says, not my will, but your will. You see, I believe in this moment wasn't that Jesus Christ was scared that he wouldn't go to the cross, that he couldn't do it. He knew he would do that. He knew he could do it. Jesus Christ came to this earth to take the sin of the world on his back, to save you and me, to die for all of us, to live a sinless life, to gain entrance into heaven. That's why Jesus Christ came to earth. So why was he crying in this moment? I believe he was crying in this moment because there is one greater fear that he had in this moment that was greater than all the rest. It was in this moment, what if, he doesn't get to the cross. What if he doesn't have the opportunity to die for you and me? What if Satan snuffs him out? What if Satan, while he's praying alone, his disciples are sleeping, they come in the heat of the night with clubs and swords and kill him and no opportunity to die on the cross. His life would be for lost. He would have never died on the cross. He would have never suffered torment. He would have never taken on the sin of the world. He would have never experienced anything that Bill showed us last week. The story would have ended, done. There would be no Jesus Christ that we know him today how could that have happened what do you mean he's God yeah he's God but Satan was coming after him full floor Satan had one of his own disciples turn him in his own disciples was committing treason his own disciple had got the mob at night not the Roman Empire he got some mobs some police guys with with clubs and and weapons and swords people who wanted to come in the heat of the night hoping to catch him off guard and snuff his life out how do I know this because it says it right in scripture just a couple verses later he says, if I don't do this the way that God has asked me to do this, it will not be fulfilled. And what is the temptation? What is the temptation? Let me explain the temptation. First, the temptation is Peter. Peter, he knew, was riled up. Peter, he knew, wouldn't deny him. Peter, he knew, would do anything to stop this from happening. So he knew that when Peter saw the people coming, Peter would start a war, would fight him two against 20. Three against 20, three against 30, how many people were there? They were going to lose. If Peter started a war, they were all going to die right there that minute. Peter wanted his plan, not God's. When bad things happen, we want our plan. We don't see God's plan. Jesus was no different. Jesus as a man, he said just a few verses later, he says these words. Don't you know I could have brought down 10,000 angels on these people? Don't you think our God wanted to bring 10,000 angels down on these sinful people? Don't you think God wanted to show his power and presence as he did the last 33 years? Don't you think he wanted to be the God he always wanted to be? But no, Father said, you must wait 2,000 more years. I have a plan for you, son, and you must go through it. Your will, Father God, not mine. This is what Jesus was struggling with. 
the greatest tipping point in Scripture? Was Satan going to win right here, or was God the Father going to win? It was Jesus' choice, and so he prayed the prayer. He prayed the prayer. And he didn't look to his future. He looked to the Father. When something bad happens to you or others, what do you think about God's plan? When they don't go the way you would think, Peter was noticing things weren't going the way, my God's not going to get arrested and tormented, no way. When things don't go the way you think, what is your view on God's plan today? When you don't have enough money, he has a plan. When you have not met your spouse yet, he has a plan. When you don't know what your ministry is yet, he has a plan. It's not if, it's when the enemy will come. He will bring you troubles. He will bring you confusion. He will bring you persecution, and he will beat you down. And God will use what Satan means for evil for his good because he has a plan. Look at this verse, church. Hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. We are persecuted, but not abandoned. We are struck down, but not destroyed. Church, what does this tell you? He has a plan. I may not know what it is, Lord, but I'm willing to say yes to you today. You have a plan. Yes, Lord. Not enough money? You will make a way. Yes, Lord. Bad news from the doctor? You will work a miracle. Yes, Lord. Problems with family? You will be the peacemaker. Yes, Lord. Struggling with affliction? You will be our all in all. Yes, Lord. Need direction? You will be our straight and narrow. Yes, Lord. Desperate for love? You will be our Abba Father. Yes, Lord. Prayer not answered? You will be my provider. Yes, Lord. Who will say it with me today? Yes, Lord. Who will say it with me today? Yes, Lord. Stand on your feet and tell the Lord, yes, Lord. I may not understand your plan, but yes, Lord. I may want to fall asleep, but I will keep watch. Yes, Lord. I will watch for others. Yes, Lord. I will watch, Lord God, for dangers of questioning who you are and why you're doing what you're doing. Lord, I will follow you. Yes, Lord. Father God, I know you have a plan. Yes, Lord. We at Kingsway hope you enjoyed this message from Pastor Sean. It was not by chance you listened to it. God is speaking to you. Visit kingswaycc.org to find the podcast from Pastor Sean. We pray today that this somehow inspired you to draw closer to God and to connect with His people, His purpose, and His power. God bless you.